Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Episode 64, Rounders Movie Review. Brian here. This is Pop Goes Your World. Yancey Eaton is with me as always. Yancey, what's happening, my friend? Not a whole lot. We just talked off air for a little bit. That a uh, little bit under the weather. Weather. I can't even speak right. Apparently, I've lost you know control of the English language. Uh, I'm a little sick, but uh, kind of excited about our guest. You guys know that he's a very very good friend of mine. I'm gonna let you bring him in, but not a whole lot's changed. I'm like in the like I'm at the tail end of like an eight day in a row streak. Battling this really bad cold. I work in and out of a freezer and a cooler all day. So, like, I'm just ready to jump into a movie that I really love a lot. It's like a cherished, beloved movie in, like, my little circle of friends. And uh, why don't you bring our guest in? Because, like, I am super, super excited about this one. Of course, our guest needs no introduction. But I'll introduce him a little bit. You can find him on Twitter at SammyReedFI. Sammy Reed is his name. He's also a writer at Roto Grinders, co-host also of the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast with Doug Thorburn. like that guy, too. Sammy, you've been on the show before. I'm really glad that you decided to come back welcome back to the show talking about rounders how's it going my friend it's going great man i'm super pumped to be back on this pod with you guys you know that i i listen to like every episode of this podcast so i'm a big fan of it just naturally and i mean frankly you couldn't pick a, a better movie for me to be on for so Oh, it's a good one. Like, apparently, Yancey loves this movie. Apparently, you like it, too. We're going to get into this for sure. Guys, before we get started, I wanted to mention something. Yancey, I mentioned last week, uh, this is a millennial thing that I'm doing. I decided to watch Breaking Bad, and guess what? I made it through all five seasons. We finished it. Wow. So, so no, yeah, no, good. congratulations. The Gen Xer. Amazing. I, I finally yeah. stopped watching Happy Days reruns. I stopped watching The Love Boat over and over again. <laughs> no more meatballs for the, you know, 2100th time. And I decided to watch a millennial show. So we watched uh, Breaking Bad. I'm not going to mention anything about spoilers or anything like that. But I tell you what, let's do a show on Breaking Bad at some point, And we'll talk about it. I, I would love nothing more, Chris, or something. Okay, it was it was good. Uh, anything else on the go for, uh, for you from a pop culture point of view? What's going on in California right now? now sammy dude i mean the the land of sun and and beaches is like been super dreary and rainy but uh so like you i'm kind of i've kind of been under the weather for a little bit but i'm actually getting like married in five weeks basically from today so that's like and i also hear by the way first of all congratulations on getting married welcome to the club welcome to the club uh but the thing is that i really should mention about that is i i understand there's you're going to be having a visitor come out and join you and hang out for a little bit for the bachelor party and it's not chris mcbrien so who is this person that's going to come visit you dude it's this kid yancey eaton is flying his wife is actually letting him get away and he's flying from florida to california to come hang out like Yancey's been a good buddy of mine for I mean years now and you know it's one of those like internet things where we've never actually met face to face and so mm-hmm. I'm pretty pumped to have him out there we're gonna you know get weird we're gonna do some paintballing skydiving uh some unnamed things etc so it should be a hoot and a holler oh man that's gonna be fun I mentioned earlier on Twitter I said 2018 is the year that I want to try and convince Yancey Eaton to come up to Canada and visit me but you got him first so good for you I I, I swooped you I know and just <laughs> like you like I've known Yancey for years Yancey and I have been nominated for a podcast podcast award on two different podcasts and we've known each other for years worked together for years never met him yep i don't know for all i know i'm gonna meet him and i'm gonna be like man you're a jerk 
It'll happen one of these days. Honestly, the only reason why I'm going to California is I was promised hookers and cocaine. <laughs> that, I mean, that, that, all that unnamed honey, stuff, turn off the show. Just, yeah, all that unnamed stuff you just named, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not going to promise you that in Canada because we just have igloos and stuff. And you mentioned it was cold out there. It was like Yancey the other week. He's like, oh, it's so cold down here in Florida. I'm like, what? It's minus 25 Celsius before the wind chill here in Canada. Give me a break. You know? oh, please, it got like down to under 60 and Yancey just like pitches out and he's like, I noticed a picture from North Florida. It was on the internet and there was a bunch of snow plows going down the road. It's like near Tallahassee or something like that. There's not even any snow yep. on the ground. What the hell do you need snow yep. plows for? There's six <laughs> feet of snow at the end of my driveway. Oh my God. Okay, let's get to this. They were shutting down whole towns, Chris. Uh, this, you guys are ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, you, you have no, this is why he's not coming to Canada. He's going to California because it's warm out there. That's I don't blame him. Anyway, uh, let, you guys ready to start talking about rounders? Yep. Definitely. All right, let's go. Nancy, what the hell are you doing to me? There's a girl topless in it. I mean, I'm sure you, you probably have seen it. Boom, 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 yeah. boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Spoilers ahead. But he was not my favorite pilot of any of these Star Wars movies. That, of course, was was Porkins. He might be one of my favorite actors. That's some good sh- I think that's fair. I do think that's fair. The fact that we're kind of nerds. Textbook nerds. I thought I was looking at my mother's old but that's in Ohio. How disappointed was your son whenever you said, I'm going to go take you to see Bare Naked Ladies? And he's like, oh, it's just a concert. What is going <laughs> on, man? Okay, so this week's movie is Rounders. We mentioned it. It's from 1998. Uh, Yancey, you nominated this. It's funny because it's kind of not. I mentioned this to somebody and I was like, oh, we're doing. Uh, it's time for us to do a millennial film. So Yancey nominated Rounders. They're like, that's not a millennial film, but it is. It's 98, technically. It's a millennial film, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and we mentioned before, you know, when we talked about, you know, if you look back on what your favorite year is from a pop culture point of view, it's always the year when you're 11 years old for whatever reason. And this is mm-hmm. just close. It's just one year before. So it definitely falls in that for you. So I'm going to let, and I know that you wanted Sammy to come on the show, not just because he's a good friend of ours, which he has been for years, obviously, but obviously right. I'm assuming the reason why you're asking Sammy to come on the show this week to talk about Randers because he loves this movie too. I'm just, so I'm going to throw it to you guys. I'm going to let you start it out and then it will come back to me. So Yancey, do you want to start us off and maybe mention why you nominated the show why you love it, what you love about it, just as a general, and then we'll get in depth. Yeah, sure. So um, I don't consider myself a professional poker player by any means. I I rarely play nowadays, but there was a period of my life where I was playing semi-professionally online, where I was playing two to 300,000 hands online, playing micro stakes, multi-tabling. I was really, really involved with poker. Even now as an adult, um, you know, they basically completely stripped away almost – every form of online poker. I still will go out and play. I'll go to bars. I'll go to you know casinos occasionally, play tournaments. I still you know buy and read poker books. I consume as much poker content as I possibly can. The itch never went away from me. I still love poker like you guys would not believe. It's, it's always been there for me. It'll always be there for me. And Rounders, um, while it has its flaws, is the best thing people who know poker and love poker it's the best form of like pop culture we have that tries to accurately portray what life is like as like you know a professional or a semi-professional poker player like somebody who's out there you know putting in the hours at the table grinding that type of thing um like i said it is not a perfect film but it is the very best thing that we have and it is very hard to make a 100% accurate, believable poker film, believe it or not. And like with anything, if if you have like a niche or you have a particular hobby, to make something about it, it's going to be really difficult to get everybody to completely be on board with everything you're saying about it. And you're going to miss stuff. And this this movie does miss stuff. It's not perfect, but I still love it. Ed Norton is amazing in it. Matt Damon's really good in it. And it's just a perfect poker movie. 
Sammy, over to you. You, uh, Yancey, wanted you to come on this podcast to talk about Rounders, so I'm assuming there's a reason for this. What's the reason? I mean, I guess so. I, this this movie is probably in my top five most watched movies of all time. Like, I, I've definitely seen Rounders several dozen times. And for me, it's, you know, like Yancey, I, I was a big poker head. Like, I played professionally for a couple of years for a living. And, you know, to me... There's so much great stuff about this movie. You know, it came out in 1998, which is, you know, about five years before Chris Moneymaker won the World Series of Poker main event. And that really ramped up the 2000s poker revolution. So this movie was not that popular before then, uh, even though it's got this amazing cast. Right. But, you know, it really became a cult hit since then. And, And the thing I really love about it is it really captures what poker was like before it became part of pop culture, right? The underground games, the backroom games, and it really does an amazing job of capturing the nuance of poker. It's amazing just all the little things they do, the way they handle chips and cards, like it's very slick. And it's also fantastic with poker vernacular, right? They use these terms in a way that appeals to both sides, right? If you didn't know poker, you'd still get the gist of what things meant. They don't like force it in and make it awkward. And I think this is a really important part of the movie. It really makes it work because I don't know. It's just accessible, right? It it is. It is. Like you said, people that don't know poker, but people that do know poker, it it really can appeal to both. And I think that's a really important part of the nuance of this film. Okay, so you want to hear my take on the movie? Yes. yes. And, and I'm afraid, like, I was afraid you wouldn't <laughs> like this because it was made after 1985 and John Hughes, John Hughes did not direct it. But I'm, holding out, I'm oh. holding out hope because it's more of a movie than a film. So, so lay it on us. Yeah. So that's always, the, that's always the fear, right? Anything after 1985, <laughs> oh, Chris is going to hate. No, that's not always the way. Um, I will start out by saying I'm not a poker guy. Never really have been. Never really enjoyed playing poker. So there was that, you know, going into it for me. Um, but I also, I didn't know what this movie was about uh, when Yancey nominated last week. I was I never heard of it, so I was like, I don't know what this movie is. So I didn't go in thinking, oh, it's a poker movie. Um, <clears throat> but I will tell you what, I really liked this movie the first time that I saw it when it was called Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> now, you millennials, you millennials love all your repackaged and repurposed and reimagining movies. So I think that's why you like this movie because this should have been called Goodwill Hunting Plays Poker instead of being good at math. He's good at playing poker, right? And the professor who didn't live up to his expectations is played by Martin Landau instead of Robin Williams. Instead of that Stellan Starsgard acting as his mentor in the movie, it's John Turturro. The girlfriend that he alienates from himself is Gretchen Maul instead of Minnie Driver. A nice improvement, though, by the way. I will say that. Um, but overall, I, I've seen this movie before, and I liked it a lot better the first time around. So have at this me, is, guys. This is a this is actually a very good take, Chris. I did not ever put those things together, but when you kind of string them out like that, uh, I, there might be something there. Yeah, yeah that's see. normally what I feel about Chris's critiques. I'm I'm immediately <laughs> mad and offended, but he also has a point, so I'm conflicted. Oh, that's what makes doing the podcast so fun. I I tell you what. Here's the thing, Yancy. The other thing that my takeaway from this is. Almost every time that I give you a movie to watch from my generation, right? You always make the comment about the movie, you know, about the selection that I, you know, that I pick. And you always point out and you say it's dated, you know? Well, I, I hate to say this to you, Yancey, but I think you managed to find one of the few millennial movies that's dated as hell already. 
No, I know. And I, it, I, it, I 100% agree. It was yeah. made in 98, right? So I get it's 20 years old. So that, you know, actually, it's hard to believe. I had 20 years since 98. But this is from a time when the World Series of Poker was like the latest fad, right? ESPN at the time was treating poker like it was a sport. And I know you guys are going to hate on me for it, but hint, it's not. And I remember the guys that were playing on those TV tournaments, they became sort of quote-unquote celebrities like Chris Moneymaker, like you mentioned, like the guy in this movie. So, you know, I I guess it's not a surprise that a movie about, you know, these two-bit card hustlers wanting to go to Vegas to be poker stars was, it was a real product of the times back then. But I think the movie's dated, don't you? Uh, a little bit, and I think you made a really good point that it almost is a sports movie in many ways, right? There's the face-off at the beginning, and then the failure, and then there's the build-up and the fall from grace, and then, you know, they go in for the last confrontation, and, you know, the guy overcomes it at the end, right? It's really got kind of a sports timeline in that regard. Like watching, well, Ro- like- like watching Rocky, but in poker. Right, right. It's, and, and it's the classic hero's journey. To be honest with you, like he he messes up at the beginning, he goes through a journey, he finds redemption, and in the end, he is, you know, victorious in it. It's it's like textbook movie writing in that sense. Well, and it even has a, a montage, right? It's even got that poker montage when Mikey and Worm have to make the money, and they go out and they start hitting this game and this game. And I mean, this is one of the most fun like montages for me. Like I, I put it up there with like you know, the Wedding Crashers sex montage at the beginning. It's just, like, so enjoyable for me to watch about, every time. And what about Rocky's montage? Even Rocky had a montage. Come on, guys. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best. It's just so funny that I find it interesting that I'm talking about this movie being dated. Like, how the hell am I, a Gen Xer, telling a couple millennials that their movie's old and dated? How the hell did this happen? This is not what this I is expected. Like, <laughs> this is like when I tell people they're lazy. It's like, I'm super lazy. So if I'm calling you lazy, you're definitely lazy. Exactly. I spent all my time watching Fonzie, you know, old, old Happy Days episodes of The Love Boat and watching Meatballs 8 million times, and I'm saying, oh, this this show's dated. You're making me watch. Okay, a couple you know, of... I, I, yeah, go ahead. I will yeah. say this really quickly, Chris, yeah. talking about, like, the dated thing. Mm-hmm. Me looking at it as a poker player, just a lot of the... Like Sammy mentioned this earlier, but a lot of the vernacular, um, the types of games that he was playing, that you know, the the style that they were playing, that of itself is incredibly dated. Like poker has changed so much, and even Sammy can attest to this, where the average poker player is so much better than they were ten or fifteen years ago, just because there's so much information, like free information as far as like game theory and just really playing sound statistic you know, statistically driven poker, where that style is it's archaic and seeing that like in a movie like i said it does not date well from a movie standpoint you're right like it, it is dated but also from a, a, a sheer gameplay standpoint it is incredibly incredibly dated and see i wouldn't have that take on it because i'm not a poker player myself so i right. i would never have picked up on any of that but i did think though that being not being a poker player myself that i thought that they did kind of explain a lot of it pretty well so i think it yep. wasn't at any point where i was like okay this is just for poker players the the vernacular like you said of the poker is just it's too in-depth no so they, they they balanced a fine line i think so people like yourselves that love poker could watch it and dig it and then people that don't know poker could still watch it and still follow it and not you know be lost so i would give them credit for that but uh, one of the other things that i want to bring up in this movie because you know 
Yancey, now Sammy, you you listen, you said you listen to the podcast, right? So on oh, a yeah. regular basis, Yancey will kind of take me to task, right? And he'll say like the movies that I make him watch are like morally reprehensible and things like that. You know, I'm not <laughs> oh, putting. You, you mean know, like you mean like when he when he shaded the hell out of Animal House? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Animal House. This is terrible. He's spying on <laughs> women. He's amazing. doing this. He's doing all this. And then even Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, it's so terrible. You know, it's like <laughs> like he has this morally righteous you know take. But let's just I mean, let's just, he definitely social justice warriored yeah. uh, Animal House. That that is yep. for sure. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. But it's just, it's a recurring theme on this podcast where Yancey says, you know, basically, you know, the Gen X movies are like bad, you know, like they're, they're, they're morally reprehensible. But I'd like to talk about this movie for a little bit when it comes to that, because I feel that this movie is trying to take a morally righteous approach to its subject matter, but I'm not buying it from day one. And, and here's the thing, the professor in it, okay, you know, Martin Lando's character, right? He, he mm-hmm. has this reasoning when he gives the kid the 10,000 bucks, right? Remember he calls it a mitzvah, right? A good deed. And yes. the professor, he like thinks back and he remembers, oh, there was a time when someone helped me when I, and he tells the story of when he decided to become a lawyer instead of becoming a rabbi and how we're supposed to somehow believe that that's conflated. Like that's exactly the same thing as deciding to, instead of become a lawyer, become an underground gambler. Yep. You know, and, and yep. the, the movie wraps itself around this cloak of righteousness, I think, to kind of cover up the fact these are just a bunch of seedy poker players who are want to be TV celebrities on World Series of Poker. Don't you think? Well, and, I love and that's and that's the thing with like Mike McDermott, like it's Matt Damon. So he comes off as very squeaky clean. This is also his best hair movie, by the way. His hair is incredible in this movie and he's smart <laughs> and he's in law school. Right. But he also like gambles with his case money and loses it all on a hand. He lies to his girlfriend. He gets mixed up with gangsters. Like his actions are definitely a, a lot more seedy than his like outward appearance portrays. I thought it was the case. That. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, Yancey. I, not that I know it's difficult when we have two people on, mm-hmm. but I, I thought exactly what you're talking about as far as like the moral, like high standing. I think a lot of what he does, Mike, as a main character, actually is kind of reprehensible. Like Sammy mentioned, no legitimate professional poker player is going to put his entire bankroll into one session that I have never done that. I don't know anybody who I take seriously as a player would ever do that. But even so, like they kind of pit like his girlfriend as like this. You know, she's getting in his way. She doesn't understand him. Like, she's the one that's holding him back. Whenever in reality, like, she's she's totally justified in her in, you know, and in, in being the way she is and trying to reform him and trying to hold him back. Because, like, this is a guy that literally blew his entire life savings, like I said, in one poker session. That is, like, the textbook case of somebody who, if you're capable of doing that, you should not be gambling. You know what I mean? So, like, mm-hmm. like you said, like, he is very much a degenerate. And obviously, Worm, you know, Edward Norton's character is very much the same, you know, a cut of the same cloth. So... Like, like I, I like what you're saying, how it, it tries to build it up as like they're like doing the right thing, like they're going for it, like they're they're following their dreams and stuff. But in reality, like these dudes, you know, it worked out this one time, but they could just as easily be bust and, you know, wind up dead in a, in a ditch, basically, because they're not paying off their debt. So I, I 100 percent agree with you as far as like they're, them appearing to take the moral like the moral high ground whenever mm-hmm. they're not actually doing it. Uh, so I'm going to address Sammy's point first, because he was talking about how Matt Damon, you know, plays this bad character, but looks good. I thought the same thing, though, with Goodwill Hunting, right? In Goodwill Hunting, you know, he's a good-looking guy, you know, with a great, you know, million-dollar smile and all this, and he's a jerk. In that movie, he, like, pretty much he's a jerk in that movie, and, you know, it's <laughs> the same thing here. And uh, and um, and so, Yancey, sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was, the, what, was, what was the thing you were just saying? 
I was basically just agreeing with you about how they try to pit them almost as like heroes. The the, the protagonists of the series of the you know movie itself are actually pretty reprehensible when it comes to like the things they do and like their interactions with other people. Like they are kind of like you know shifty you know, degenerates and the movie doesn't really, you know, do an honest job of portraying that. I think it's interesting. You bring up an interesting point about the girlfriend because they make in a way kind of the way the script plays out because you, you see things from his side of view. He's the, the, the protagonist, right? Like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And she's almost like kind of like, like the bad, the bad guy, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. she's not going along with him. And uh, I don't know why, but it would just jumped into my mind. It's like, cause you see that sometimes in movies where like the bad guy is really the good guy. You know, yep. sometimes, and, and the one that comes to mind is you guys. Okay, here's a, a Gen X movie, uh, Ghostbusters. You both have seen Ghostbusters. I'm not talking about that remake, you know, with Melissa McCarthy crap. I'm talking about the the original <laughs> one from '84. You know what I'm talking about? You guys have both seen that. It's yes. like that guy. What, what was his name? Peck. Remember, uh, he comes in and he's like with the government and he's trying to shut them down because if you think about it, what they're trying to do is like capture ghosts with like seedy material and like trap him in this and they'd be total dicks to him and then they make like fun of the size of his penis you know and it's like, it's like he's, he's actually the good guy here like well, you know anyway i don't know why that came to mind um yeah. i thought it was another interesting thing and i think sammy brought it up is with the two characters so first of all i think um um edward norton is an excellent actor okay he's yes, a really correct. good actor um but that being said i found him to be a little miscast in this role. Maybe, I don't know. It just, I was distracted by it. But I, I, the other thing I think is interesting is that the movie tries to separate these two guys, right? It tries to say like, like Worm is the guy that tries to win by hustling. And Mike is the guy that tries to win by skill, right? But if you go back to right. the opening scene in the movie, the first line in the movie is Mike explaining, because he's narrating it, and he says the old, that old poker saying, right? If in 30 minutes, if you can't spot the sucker at the table, then the sucker is you. So even though they're trying to make out that Mike is relying on skill, he's just a hustler too, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, you know, Worm owns it. Mikey doesn't really, right? Right. Um, but, but you bring up a, a really good point about that line. I think some of the things that make this movie so engaging, especially for those that have seen it multiple times, is that there's so many just classic lines in there. And that's one of them, Right. And then there's all the stuff that Teddy KGB says in his ridiculous, over-the-top Russian accent, right? Pay that man. Pay that man his money. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so classic. Uh, The the alligator bloodline, the in my club, I'll splash the pot whenever the f*** I please, right? And then then Worm's line, you know, in the game of life, women are the rake. I I just think there's... You're forgetting my very favorite quote from this entire thing where it talks about it's immoral to not take a sucker's money. Right, right, right. To let a sucker keep his money, it's actually immoral. So, like, they're, they're actually saying, like, you know, doing the right thing is taking these people's money. Like, don't feel bad about that. But not to cut you off, Sammy, but Chris, I, I honestly, I completely disagree with you about Edward Norton and him being cast in this role. Mm-hmm. And maybe, Sammy, you can you can kind of piggyback a little bit. But um, I feel like he is the most genuine poker-centric character in the entire movie. I know people who act just like that. His justifications for the things that he does, like his trying to get an edge as a, you know, instead of actually studying game theory and studying statistics and trying to play sound, reasonable poker and take advantage and be exploitative of other people's weaknesses, he tries to cheat, right? I've played in poker tournaments where people were literally pocketing extra chips at the chip table or, you know, house games where people were colluding with each other and trying to send each other signals. Like I, the, like, I, like I said, the way that he 
is, you know, he's so brazen and he's so rash and confident, but whenever he's actually put up against the wall, like he's he's very like snively and like he he just doesn't own up to his mistakes. Like I said, all of his mannerisms, the way he justifies his actions, I felt like like he is seriously the most accurate like rendition. You will find that person in every single card room in America. Sammy, what do you think? Uh, I agree with that. I did like Edward Norton quite a bit. I think he plays the role to a T and and for a lot of the same reasons that you do. Matt Damon, I mean, I love him as an actor. I think he's fine in this movie, but I actually like Damon less than Norton. I think Malkovich, I mean, he's just over the top and ridiculous, like I mentioned, but he's great. Uh, Turturro's great. I think Martin Landau's great. We didn't even mention Femke Jansen, who's just sultry as all get out. And Unbelievable. When- yeah, when Mikey does not hook up with her when she comes up to the apartment, like every time I cringe, I'm like, bro, just go for it. Like it's on. So she's a former I Bond mean, girl, too. She she is. Yeah. I, I really like this cast. I mean, for a movie that did not really blow up and became more of a, a cult classic, the cast in this movie, I mean, Damon Norton and Malkovich are they're really three of the better actors of this generation, right? I agree. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. Let me just jump in. I just want to just just defend myself a little bit about Norton and just maybe rephrase it. It's not that I don't think he's good in this role. I think he's an outstanding actor. I felt that he's a little bit too big for this role. I think possibly. that's what I'm trying to say. And so I was distracted by that. He's such a good actor. I felt like he was slumming it a bit in this role. Does that make sense? <laughs> I mean, he was definitely slumming it. Let's let's be honest. I think everybody was slumming it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I just felt like he was a little too big, too big of an actor for that role. I don't know. There was just something about it that just was. Yeah, was he sense. was he that big in 1998, though? Oh, yeah. I think by then he'd already done the uh, the people versus Larry Flint and people knew, oh, wow, this guy can act. Yeah, you know? He went on one heck of a run after that, though. He did. Like, from like 98 to, like, 2002 or 2003. That was quite the run. American History X was around that time, you know, Fight Club, all that stuff, right? So. Yep. Hey, Chris. Yes. I know. I'm, normally, you, you normally drive the train on this. I want to kind of, like, kick this back and forth between me and Sammy because, like, the, I, I think the most enjoyable thing that I have about this movie, mm-hmm. we've talked about The Matrix, how it has legs and how I constantly think about it and revisit it and think about different things. Uh, it's become almost like a cottage industry and, you know, Sammy can attest, he can see the screenshots like, you know, every couple months your boy Yance will get drunk and then he'll start watching this movie and then I'll start picking up on little things that are kind of wrong or, you know, people who really play poker, they would notice it or just certain things that they, they don't seem to really jive with how poker is really played. And so like I label these as kind of like issues. Like I, I will admit that I love rounders. I, I, you know, suggested this movie, but it has issues. I want to just give you a couple bullets really, really quickly just for like people at home who've seen this movie. They can kind of, you know, give us like a golf clap or like I totally disagree. Sammy, I don't know if you have any. I can kick it back to you too. But just I, really I, have, I, I have countless issues. Yes. Okay. So if, if if I miss any, like I said, I know this isn't like great radio, but if I miss any, I'll kick it back to you and you can give them to me. Okay. So number one issue, the way they deal the community cards on the on the actual felt, how they're overlapping each other and they're not evenly spaced out and not touching, that tilts the hell out of me. I have never played cards anywhere where cards are dealt like that, right? Yeah, um, that's very it's very not pleasing to anyone with OCD for sure. It's, it's terrible, right? Um, little things like how they don't rake the chips after each round of betting. They just sit in front of them. That doesn't happen, right? Um, like things like you're playing in a high stakes poker game, but there isn't a designated dealer. Everybody's taking turns dealing. That doesn't happen ever. You know, little things like how um, Matt Damon's character is speaking out to Teddy KGB every time he's makes, you know, like actions like, oh, I think you're bluffing or I think you're chasing the flesh. Like that doesn't 
happen, things like that. Um, even, even little things how like all these, you know, quote unquote professional gamblers are completely disinterested and whole and actually hiding their whole cards. They're just holding them up willy nilly, like two cards in the air, like, you know, like they're holding like a cocktail or something that never happens. Um, I'm thinking of some other stuff like say after they went meeting with Graham, right. And they're deciding that we have to pay off $15,000. They decide, okay, we have $1,200 between us. And then he literally, the first game he mentions is a $30, $60 game, which Chris, I know you're not super familiar with poker, but a $30, $60 game. That is a gigantic high stakes poker game. I have never played that in my life. And what that equates to, if you have a $1,200 bankroll and you're playing a 30, 60 game, that gives you 20 big blinds. You're literally the you're going to be the shortest stack by far. There's there's tons and tons of examples like this, like the way they size their bets. Um, like I said, the fact that like whenever K- Teddy KGB is dealing a hand to him, they don't have a bottom card that protects that doesn't show what the bottom card is. There's lots of little stuff like that. But I've been talking a long time and I hate my voice. So, Sammy, what, what are some other things that you've noticed as, as far as like problems with the movie? I mean, there's there's a lot, and it really comes down to details. Again, if you've played a lot of poker, there there are some challenges. Uh, first off, you mentioned Grandma. I mean, understand that there is actually a gangster named Grandma in this movie. And what he does is he wears long johns and pork pie hats. And that's basically <laughs> – he's so ridiculous. Like, yep. How did you guys come up with this character? Um, there, there's a lot of things in terms of the bet sizing – uh, in the first scene uh, versus KGB and Mikey, uh, Teddy leads out on the river and the pot's like five grand if you add it up and Teddy leads off for 15K. And it's like this just would almost never happen. There's that great flashback with Johnny Chan where they're playing like, you know, 300, 600 limit. And, you know, it's like, oh, well, I raised, well, I re-raised and this and that. And finally, at the end, Johnny Chan folds, getting like nine to one preflop in a limit game, which, again, you would never even fold that with seven deuce. Like, it just makes no sense. Snap call. And, yeah. And, and in the last scene, uh, Mikey acts first uh, in a hand that Teddy KGB is dealing. Um, right. <laughs> right. Which which, again, is an issue that doesn't happen. And then he, like, leads off for a thousand bucks into uh, a pot where the blinds are 2050. So that's a 20 big blind open. And then K- Teddy KGB re-raises to 5K, which is half his stack. Mikey goes all in and KGB dumps it, getting like better than three to one. And it's like, wait, wait what happened here? Um, there's some, uh, a little kind of sketchy part at the end where the math doesn't quite add up. Uh, Mikey beats Teddy KGB twice. So he goes from 10K to 20K and then beats him again to go to 40. But he says, I have more than 60. So possibly Teddy reloaded <laughs> at some point or right. else they just goofed up the math because then he's like, well, I got 15 going back to grandma and six to the Chesterfield and 10 to the professor. And now I got three stacks of high society. What he had at the beginning. And now he's like, I'm going to Vegas. I'm going to play in the World Series. It's like if all you needed was the 30 grand, you should have just done that at the beginning instead of doing all this, you know? Right, and we've talked about this on Twitter, I believe, too. Like the the entry to the World Series of Poker main event is ten thousand dollars. Ten thousand dollars. You could have gone. You could have had a nice hotel. You could have bought a couple drinks and then come back. Like 
the girlfriend would have been mad. You know? Yeah, exactly. There's just there's so many issues. I know, Chris. I, I know we're boring you to death, but like this is. I think this is what a lot of people enjoy about this movie is nitpicking the actual poker part of it. And like I said, the acting is fantastic. Um, I, I love the casting. I love everything like that. I think it. The pacing is really great in it. I like the scenes like with the you know with the state troopers and the jail scene. And there's there's just a lot of good in this movie. It's the little details like this where I wish they almost had like an outside consultant who could kind of be like, hey, you know, that's not tight. That's not tight we need to clean this up there's there's all these little issues in it and like i said it's literally one of my favorite things about watching this movie is just picking up on more and more of them like i said sammy you and i've had a back and forth about this movie multiple multiple times and yes. uh the list just keeps going on i have more but i'm, I'm gonna spare you but um, I, I have i have two more that i kind of need to get out there so can i can i do that of course um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry chris no go for it I mean, so so something that just always tilted me is in the last scene versus Teddy KGB. And first off, you mentioned this, CNC. There's so many great rewatchable scenes. And one of the things I love about this movie is you can rewatch it like, hey, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie and be entertained. But I also put it on in the background a lot. Yep. Uh, you know, when I'm like writing or something like that. And while it's not amazing for my writing process, you know, you look up and all of a sudden it's, you know, the the poker montage or, yeah, where they get beat up at the cop club or the final scene. And you're like, dude, I'm, I'm going to chill out and watch this for a minute. And one of the things that I really take like issue with is Mikey finally sees KGB's tell with the Oreos, which is ridiculous in and of itself. But then he goes ahead and tells Teddy KGB, he's like, well, I, I'd normally like let him, you know, keep, you know, dumping off his chips to me, but I don't have that kind of time. It's like, what does that mean? You don't have that kind of time to like use his tell against him. Oh, I'm just going to tell him that I saw his tell and it's going to tilt him. If somebody spotted my tell and, and then they told me about it instead of using it, I'd laugh at them. I'd be like, you're an idiot. I'm going to take yep. all your cash. Yep. So that was that was an issue. And then all <laughs> one of my other issues, I hate absolutely hate the final song when the credits come on it's it's a song from the counting crows called baby i'm a big star now and it just like for me i i was never that into the counting crows so maybe i'm biased but i was just like this song does not fit at all with the movie like it's cringeworthy it is yeah, literally cringeworthy whose choice was this well, you know, I'm going to jump in with something because when I mentioned on Twitter that we were going to do this movie, uh, Walter McMichael at Real Fake Walter made had this to say about the movie. He said it's a great start and finish. I do have one question I haven't been able to figure out, and I need an explanation. Why does he need to risk the thirty grand he saved up to make a run at the main event when it's a ten k buy-in? I never understood this. <laughs> exactly. You know, the same thing, right? So same thing. Kind of exactly. I'm going to tie together a couple of things that you guys have been saying because I've just been kind of picking things out. So I think um, based on everything you're saying with the flaws in it and stuff, it seems like this movie is a perfect example of a great cast with a bad script. Is that fair to say? Um, yes. Yes and no. I, I really do like – like overall, I think it holds up. Um, the, the movie itself, like I really think it's rewatchable. It entertains me every time. I really enjoy the pacing of the movie, the the scenes in the movie, but when you're like really into poker, there are some things that they didn't quite tie in together. Just a lot of the things we've we the talked minutia. about. The minutia, the yeah, minutia, yeah. There's there's definitely issues. That's for sure. You know, I think the way that this movie plays out, and Sammy, you touch base on this, and I agree with you. It seems like the director is trying to make a statement that poker is a sport. 
and you know you've you've got you got the guy that loses and then makes his way back for a shot at the champ and then beats him and it's like like I said it's like Rocky at a card table but I'd rather watch Rocky you know in fact I'd rather watch Rocky three because Hulk Hogan's in that one and so is Mr T too pity the fool um, <laughs> was was that made before 1985 <laughs> uh, yes it was um, okay. both of them were of course 1976 <laughs> and 1981 um, so John Malkovich you mentioned too I like him in pretty much everything he's in but yep. that, that Russian accent was so phony. Like, well, it so wasn't even believable. It was so, I didn't like him in this movie. I didn't. I you think know? that's, I think that makes it endearing to be honest with you. I love that. It's a bad Russian accent. I love it. I don't know. And the, that big showdown with him at the end, I, to me, it wasn't suspenseful. It wasn't climactic. I thought you knew he was going to win. And yes. you know what I would have liked to see? I'd like to see John Malkovich turn to him at the end and drop the phony accent and go, I've just been f-ing with you. <laughs> <laughs> they, they're going to do that in the remake. Now that would have been a good end, you know. <laughs> Chris, you've you've missed your calling in life. You really should just rewrite old movies. Like that's that's something you should have done. There you go. <laughs> so, so I'll do that maybe. Um, so what? I have got a question for you guys because you guys both obviously love poker. You mm. know, it's a big thing for you. Do either one of you guys ever dream of going to the World Series of Poker in Vegas one day? Yes. Excuse me? Yes, um, a- absolutely. In fact, it was one of those things where when, when I was playing for work, it was one of those things where I always said, oh, I'll go next year, I'll go next year. And then I ended up not going and online poker got, you know, DOJ'd up and FBI'd up in 2011. And after that, it was like I was kind of forced to not have it be a big part of my life. I had to go get a real job and, you know, become an actual adult. And that was very, you know, traumatic for me. Um, but I always wanted to go and then I never did. And I think for any serious poker player, like you have to understand the world series of poker is like 50 plus events and it culminates with the main event, which is the, the 10 K buy-in, but there's so many 1500 and three grand events. They're obviously not all no limit hold'em. There's just a wide swath of card games and it's really like Christmas. And so, you know, for me, it's actually one of my big regrets as a poker player is I have not done it yet. And it's it's one of those things. It's one of my things that I want to do in the future is, is go there and play the main event. And more importantly, like play a couple of the smaller ones as well, like the 1500s and the three grands and, uh, you know, get in there as well. Yancey, is this the reason why you're going out to California in a couple months? Uh, to take Sammy's money, absolutely. Exactly, yes. and then head um, over to Vegas and go to the World Series of Poker. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, there's going to be more people there. It's not just going to be me and Sammy like hanging out together. As fun as that might sound to me, and terrible as it might sound to Sammy, but um, I, I assume I'm going to be taking all of his friends' money. But you know, ultimately, like Sammy said, like that's kind of like the dream that everybody has. As unrealistic as it is, is to go play in the main event, or at least just make it out to Vegas. You know, I know Sammy, you've been to Vegas several times. I personally have never gone. A billion um, times. Yeah, a billion times. I've never gone. It's it's more of a journey for me living in South Florida. But that is something that's always in the back of like every poker player's mind. Even if you're a novice, even if you're a recreational player who has a very limited grasp of the game, like it's just magic. It's it's just one of those things where everybody wants to go once. You know, I mean, it's like a pilgrimage to Mecca or something. Um, eventually, I will. Obviously, it's you know the main event is pretty pricey, but it's something I'm definitely going to do before I die. Even though my wife is like super super pissed off about it, but yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I have another question for you guys then, because to me, I know poker's been around forever and will be around mm-hmm. forever, and and that's not the point I'm trying to make. The thing for me though is it. it felt like and that's why this movie feels dated to me too because it feels like poker became a real fad in the late 90s 
and it was just this fatty thing that was on. There was, I remember a time around the time this movie came out, 97, 98, 99, every channel you put on TV was people playing friggin' poker. And it was like, oh, yep. okay, give me a break. To me, it felt like a fad. It was, 90s. it was. And it was, it was a little bit later because I think it really kicked off. I think that 2003, I think it was uh moneymaker win. I think that was when poker really got big into the mainstream. So it was a couple years after that, but yeah, it was a fad. If you want to say from like Oh three to 2011 and everybody was in it. It was like, it was like Bitcoin, you know what I mean? Mm. And it, yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say it was a fad insofar as like it was a perfect culmination of all these different things. Like you said, Chris Moneymaker in 2003, where people saw a regular guy, like a regular, you know, semi redneck guy, just a a normal dude buying in for 50 bucks and winning a satellite and then winning the World Series of Poker. It was the the introduction of, you know, like the whole cam where people could actually see what poker players had and it opened up. All of a sudden, it, it went from being you know a solitary game that was incredibly boring for spectators to being a spectator sport of the best possible kind. And then with the advent of internet poker, anybody who was watching on TV could immediately go make a really small deposit and start playing immediately. So it was a fad, but it was also more – it was fueled more by accessibility, I think, just because literally anybody with a computer and an internet connection and a little bit of money could play. And then, like Sammy said, once the Department of Justice completely shut down all those sites you know, for various reasons, um, it cut off that lifeblood that was poker where you had all of these new people. We call them fish you know, in the industry where they were just funneling in money, and then people like Sammy and myself were basically profiteering off of them. Um, but yeah, it, in, in that sense, it was a fad. But, you know, the, the United States government had a, a huge part in killing it. Had that not happened, I think it still would have been a lot more relevant today than it was now. And we wouldn't be talking about it in the same ilk. We wouldn't say that poker was a fad. It would have been more of a mainstream sport or a you know hobby. Yeah, uh, I, I, I really think you're right about this because not only did, you know, every John Q public want to play, but it also brought in like this new wave of like smart young analysts who weren't even gamblers by nature. And we're actually seeing that, you know, all three of us are huge into baseball. We're seeing that in sports a lot now with baseball and football, where people who might not have even grown up, uh, you know, uh, playing the sport at all are now analyzing the sport and breaking it down and have like new ideas of how to analyze it. And it's really... You know, that game theory kind of kind of thing where, you know, it brought a lot of chess players. It brought a lot of backgammon players. And, you know, those people with analytical minds and game theory minds, it was very popular for them, too. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think there was a lot to that. And I think we see a lot of those people now when we see daily fantasy. Right. A lot of people. I mean, there's some great DFS players who don't even watch the games who are literally, they create models and analyze things. They don't even like the sport that much, but they know there's profit if they can out-analyze other people. So I think it's a a really interesting dichotomy, the the kind of people who gravitated toward poker at this time. Okay, I tell you what, guys, let's have a little bit of fun. Fun with Yancey. Because I consider... Texas Hold'em Poker to be a fad from the 90s. I want you to just r- run with me on this. Okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. And you guys are millennials, so I'm going to have some fun from your childhood. Okay? I'm going to give you some trivia questions based on other fads of the 90s as well. Okay? okay. You guys you guys both this is, ki- this is quite the stretch, even yep. for you, Chris. Yep. So <laughs> this should be a snap for you guys to get. You guys were kids in the 90s. You know, you're starting, you're growing up. So you, fads were like all the rage when you were a kid, right? So here's the thing. I'm going to give you some questions on 90s fads. See how well you do. Okay? 
Okay. In the right. in the 90s, guys, the acronym WWJD became popular. What does WWJD stand for? What would Jesus do? Yes. Congratulations. That's right. What would Jesus do? Hallelujah. Uh, okay, so this 90s fad, gentlemen, started in Hawaii by kids flipping milk bottle caps. But soon it, it it caught on with people as collecting the caps rather than playing with them. What's the 90s fad? Pogs. Pogs. Yes. yes. Very, very good. Okay. So every generation, pretty, I guess every decade really, has a very popular hairstyle. The 70s had the Farah. You know, the 80s had the mullet and the jerry curl. Oh, but both wonderful. And the 90s had a hairstyle made popular by a sitcom gentleman. What was the name of the hairstyle that swept the 90s? <laughs> I don't know. Is it the Ross Geller? I don't know. Um, is it Saved by the Bell? I don't know. The Rachel. The Rachel was the name of the hair. Oh, I was close. I had the right show. Yeah, you had her boyfriend. Congratulations. Oh, man. Um, okay. So this 1990s exercise fad, gentlemen, was it basically was comprised of a bent metal tube that had a spring in it that was hawked on TV by Suzanne Summers. Can you name this 90s fad? <laughs> Come on, Sammy. You placed it between I, I, your. You, okay, I, I, I'll give you a hint. You placed it between your knees and you compressed the spring to get a quote unquote workout. Oh man, this is. Like I, I, I remember shake weight. <laughs> I remember seeing it. I just don't know what the name was. Is it like um like a bow flex or like a power flex or something? No, it was the thigh master. Ah, uh, master. master. Okay, guys, the Spice Girls—they epitomized the concept of the of the the word fad in the '90s, right? What was the real name of Baby Spice? <laughs> Baby Spice. <laughs> believe it or not, that wasn't her real name at birth. What was her real Who, name? What? Who cares? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, don't don't ruin this for me. I, I only know Baby Spice. <laughs> okay, it was Emma Button. Okay. Uh, okay, here's a '90s fad for you: the Macarena. You guys remember the Macarena, right? Oh yeah, my my fiance and I have like outlawed this from our wedding playlist. Okay, She's like, okay. are, "Are there any songs you don't want?" And I'm like, "The Macarena, do not let the DJ play that." All right, well, who's the band that played the Macarena? Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> no idea. You guys are supposed to be like you know millennials and '90s and all this stuff. It's Los Del Rios. Okay. Uh, last week on the podcast, Yancey, you mentioned something and you mentioned Linkin Park. So I'm going to throw an easy one at you because Linkin Park was very famous, as you mentioned last week, for fusing heavy metal with other music styles, right? So Correct. they came up with sort of a new music genre. You know, it featured artists also like Corn uh, and Limp Bizkit, right? What's that new music style called? What was the name given to that music style? It's either rap rock or new metal. New metal. Congratulations. I give you that. Yes. I would have accepted agro metal as well. So that's cool. I knew Yancey would get this. He had it in the bag. Anything music, he's on top of it. Yancey. But it's new It's new spelled N-U, so it's like super edgy. Exactly. Yes. So you millennials, I tell you. Okay, so Yancey, you mentioned Saved by the Bell, so I'm going to end you on a Saved by the Bell question because nothing, but nothing screams 90s fads more than the TV hit, and I use that term loosely, gentlemen, Saved by the Bell. So, gentlemen, Saved by the Bell ended its illustrious run on TV with a movie that featured the marriage of Zach and Kelly. Yancey, Sammy, can you name the title of the movie that marked the finale of Saved by the Bell? <laughs> I, I cannot. <laughs> I'm surprised. I thought you guys would know. It was Saved by the Bell Wedding in Las Vegas, which is where you guys are going to play the World Series of Poker. So, you know, it would have been a nice night. 
but that was a really that was a really fitting end right there. It was the thing that came before Saved by the Bell between that and Saved by the Bell the college years. No, it actually came after the I liked Saved by the Bell the college years and it only lasted one year and then it got canceled and they made this movie after the college years. Oh, really? Yep, they ended with Saved by the Bell wedding in Las Vegas. They all went to Vegas and uh, like I say, Zach and Kelly got married. It was really dumb. And at the very, very end, I remember Lisa <laughs> and like the principal all made an appearance. It was really bad. But uh, anyway, so, you know, there you go. So we got to, to throw out a movie you guys both obviously kind of liked. But obviously, it's so funny for a movie you guys liked. You sure had a boatload of criticisms for it. You guys came. That's like, part of the fun. Yeah, I that's guess. Part of the fun. You know, that's it's all good. It's all good. It, it is what it is. Uh, Sammy, you want to just remind everybody uh, whereabouts they can find you and all your work? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I write for Rotogrinders, rotogrinders.com, on Twitter, at Sammy Reed, F-I, and the Baseball Holics Anonymous podcast, like you said at the top, myself and my good friend Doug Thorburn. Uh, we have a great time doing it. It's just all about baseball because we're huge baseball geeks. So always a good time with that. Ah, Yancey and I are baseball geeks, too. That's how we got to know you. And you'll find Yancey and I on uh, on Twitter, at Yancey Eaton or at C. McBrien. And you'll find all our information at popgoesyourworld.com. Yancey, it's time for me to throw a movie to you. Okay, so oh, yeah, I forgot this part. Yep, I'm going to throw you a movie. It's a Gen X film, obviously. That's the way it works. You need to watch it and come back and talk about it next week. It's one of the two movies for me that is basically a master class for an acting ensemble. And it's also a, a good thing with this movie, a really interesting uh, piece of trivia, is it's one of only three movies in history. We'll always talk about the Oscars here. It's one of only three movies in history that won all four of the major awards, being Best Picture, Best Director, Actor, and Actress. And, you know, the first movie to do it was It Happened One Night in 1934. Silence of the Lambs did it in 1991, but this movie in 1975 did it as well. I would like you to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's based on the mm. Ken Kesey novel, the countercultural novel from the 60s. And if you have ever seen Jack Nicholson in anything, which I know you have, and if you know of him, as you think of him as, you know, being in like A Few Good Men or something like that, wait till you get a load of him in this movie. You are going I, to be I, ha I have to say, this might be a top 10 movie of all time. This of all is time. a yeah. fantastic, fantastic movie, Yancey. If, if you haven't seen it, like... You're, you're in for a treat, in my opinion. Well, Sammy, that's next week, and nobody asked you, frankly. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, I kind of so. blew my load talking about Rounder's bet sizing here, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, man he, just, man, he just cut down all your chips right there, man, or whatever the saying is. I don't know. You guys are talking German to me with all that stuff. But uh, Yancey, Yancey went all in on that one and won. So let's just say that. So, Yancey, you got to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Come back next week and be prepared to talk all about it, all right? Are you up for the challenge? All right. I am up for the challenge, and, and really quickly before we end it, what did you actually think of the movie? Like, give us a score. What'd you think? Uh, score. So if I got to rate it out of ten, probably give it a six. Yeah. Okay, decent. Yep, I, decent. Th I, I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was rather boring at times. I thought it was a little trite at times. Um, I thought the script wasn't great. I didn't like John Malkovich. Um, I don't know. I found it to be a little predictable in places too. So I'm just being honest. You know. Okay. That's, Fair enough. It's all. I just hate. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to hate on you. Life your goes on, Chris. Yeah. It's okay. Oh, well, and maybe you'll hate on my movie next week. I guess we'll wait and see. Although Sammy's setting it up. Top 10 movie of all time. So we'll have to see. Yeah, and yeah. You can't you can't shade it, Yancey. I will say as a film critic, I would probably give this movie like a six, six and a half. Uh, as myself, it's like an eight and a half, nine. It's fantastic. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so well, until then, this is Chris McBride for Yancey Eaton saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Pop Goes Your World podcast. Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. 
Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music